the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Russia announces a military expansion as the U.S. provides Ukraine with $125 million to repair their power grid. Putin has has now made up his mind that he's not going to give up on taking control of the country and toppling the government. Questions arise as reports surface that the Chinese Communist Party funneled millions into the Biden Penn Center. Hey, this is our assessment of Burisma. Uh, Here's all the shady characters there. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meets with her counterpart in China. So that it doesn't veer into conflict. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, January 19th. I'm Mike Scott. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu has announced that Moscow aims to expand their army by about 200,000 troops, bringing the total up to 1.5 million. Russia has announced sweeping changes to its armed forces after months of setbacks on the battlefield in Ukraine. Moscow aims to strengthen its combat capabilities, and that includes boosting troop numbers to 1.5 million. The country currently has around 1 million servicemen officially. The build-up will be implemented over the next three years. Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu says the reforms are needed to guarantee Russia's security and protect new territories. He also instructed officials to strengthen the capabilities of the Navy, aerospace and strategic missile forces. The Defence Ministry has faced a sharp domestic criticism for its defeats and retreats in Ukraine. On Friday, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will be joined by the Joint Chiefs of Staff for another meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, a coalition of some 50 nations that have been providing economic or military aid to Ukraine. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is feeling pressure to lend more tanks to Ukraine or give permission from other allies who have German tanks to provide them for the war effort. For their part, Germany has indicated that it wants the United States to provide main battle tanks first. Retired General Jack Keane joined the Salem Radio Network and says that while Vladimir Putin isn't giving up, the Russian leader has had to use the private Wagner group that recruits convicts. This year certainly will be a, a, a pretty decisive year for a couple of reasons. Uh, one on the Russian side, Putin has, has now made up his mind that he's not going to give up on taking control of, of the country and toppling the government, but he knows full well it's more aspirational at this point. And what he's really going to concentrate on this year, what he's doing currently, is his ground force has been largely defensive with some small, uh, limited attacks uh, like in the, around the city of Bakhmut, actually being led uh, by the Wagner Group, which is a private firm versus the, uh, 
the regular conventional military, and, and their private firm is using prisoners uh, largely uh, to do the attacking. But most of his force along a 1,300-kilometer front is in a defensive position. He's conserving that force. He's recruited, he's mobilized and recruited over 300,000 troops. He's only put 150 of those down into Ukraine, into this fight. Keane says that intelligence suggests that Putin is gearing up for another major offensive and is currently relying on airstrikes. He's holding on to the other 150, and he's going to mobilize another 500,000 this year. We believe he's building to uh, some kind of offensive operation months uh, into the into the year 23 uh, to try to really take territory and retake some territory that they've lost. That's what we believe he's attempting to do. Right now, ground forces, I said, largely defensive, conserving their strength, but he's conducting an aggressive air campaign to destroy the physical infrastructure of Ukraine, and so we're seeing images of that and how horrific that is, to actually also break the will of the Ukrainian people and cripple their economy. The retired general explains just who the Wagner Group is. They're a private company funded by the Russian government that mostly in the past has always had previous Russian soldiers in it. And he's used them in Syria and also uh, in, in northern Africa. In Syria, they actually conducted an attack against a U.S. base at least they were attempting to make an attack against the U.S. base, a full classified base we had in southern Syria. We saw them coming, and we killed over 200 of them. Uh, but this is a force uh, that is highly financed, uh, has better equipment than the Russian military. I mean, it's, it's, it's thousands. It's not hundreds of thousands. There's, there's no way the Wagner Group can win a war, but they can win a battle. That's kind of where where they are. Keen tells us what he believes is the ultimate strategy of Vladimir Putin. The the fate of the of Ukraine and the Russian military will not depend on the Wagner Group. It's going to depend on the on the qualities of the Russian military, and, and will Putin be able to improve it? What Putin is waiting for now, Joe, is he he believes he can outlast. Ukrainians, because Russia has three times the amount of people, they'll always be able to mobilize more people than the Ukrainians will. He knows he's going to be challenged by equipment, but he thinks he can also outlast the United States and NATO and the European countries particularly, uh, that they will eventually lose the will to continue to support Ukraine the way they are right now. But there seems to be, there's no evidence of that, but that's what Putin's strategy is. Looking forward, Keen explains what is next for the Ukrainian military forces. The Ukrainians this year expect them to conduct major offensive operations to retake territory. That'll be their primary goal. And they have an opportunity to do that. And we've got to get them the equipment that they need, the tanks that they need, the long-range missiles, uh, the advanced drones that they've been requesting for months now. And, and hopefully there's a big meeting in NATO this Friday Uh, that Secretary Austin is leading, and hopefully that's going to release a lot of commitment to the kinds of equipment that the Ukrainians need. 
The Biden administration also announced that it will provide an additional $125 million for electrical parts and other supplies, helping repair crews in Ukraine keep up with Russian strikes pounding that country's electrical system. According to reports, the Biden Penn Center, where classified documents were recently discovered, has received millions of dollars from unnamed Chinese donors. New reports indicate there's another major player in the Biden document scandal, and it's the Chinese Communist Party. The University of Pennsylvania's Biden Center, where classified documents were found, received more than $30 million from anonymous Chinese donors. Reports are suggesting that the university took in more than $14 million from Hong Kong and $2.4 million in unnamed donations from Saudi Arabia. National Legal and Policy Center Chairman Peter Flaherty says that his organization has been sounding the alarm on foreign donations to Biden's Penn Center for some time. Colleges and universities around this country receive a lot of foreign money. And UPenn is no different. They've received money from China and Saudi Arabia in the past. What's significant here is that uh, once the Biden Center was established, the gifts accelerated. And much of the money was anonymous, as you pointed out. There was a single $14 million anonymous gift in 2018 from a source in China. The, uh, the attention that this whole thing is getting now is a great relief to us because we... Uh, focused on this issue in uh, 2020. We uh, tabulated the amounts of money uh, from Chinese sources, and we filed a complaint with the Department of Education because universities are supposed to disclose any gift over $250,000. And the University of Pennsylvania did not do that. Unfortunately, to our chagrin, the Education Department didn't do anything about it. So we now renew our call for the University of Pennsylvania to disclose who in China gave all this money to the Biden Center. Back in November, Biden's lawyers turned over about 10 classified documents that were located at the Biden Penn Center. Two additional batches of classified documents were recovered by his lawyers at his Wilmington, Delaware home. Jim Garrity is National Review's senior political correspondent and joined the Salem Radio Network to say there's an issue with classification. Go back, you can find all kinds of experts, people who've left government service, people who've been in the intelligence community. Barack Obama, you know, complained about this back during the Hillary Clinton thing. Well, there's classified and then there's classified. Is some of that, you know, excuse making for Hillary? Sure. But the fact that enough people have said this, I mean, I don't have a security clearance. I don't think you have a security clearance. Not anymore. 97, 9.7% of Americans don't have security. So we don't know. But we have a sneaking suspicion that enough people have made this complaint. So if we have an overclassification problem, we have that regardless of what you think of Donald Trump. And we have that regardless of what you think of Joe Biden. But now we can't have that conversation because anybody who says this, ah, oh, well, you're just trying to make excuses for the guy you like even though I don't really like to be one of these guys. Garrity believes that there are really only two reasons why Joe Biden would take classified documents into his possession. So my guess is one of two things. Either it's something that Biden thought was really important he wanted to have writing memoir-wise, or there's something in that's kind of embarrassing. Say, hey, this is our assessment of Burisma. 
Uh, here's all the shady characters there, you know, Mr. Vice President. Hey, do you know who your son's working with? That kind of That's stuff. it. That's what I think. The National Review correspondent asks why Joe Biden's people were looking for classified documents to begin with. Joe Biden goes on 60 Minutes and says, you know, uh, the, the finding the documents at Mar-a-Lago, terribly irresponsible. Who could possibly be so irresponsible? And I can't help but wonder if somebody in the Biden inner circle went, hmm, are we sure we didn't do that? Are we sure we didn't accidentally walk out with some documents and all that? Are we sure we're purer than Caesar's wife in this area? And let, let's go through and check because you know, there's never been, a, it's not like they're removing the files. It's not like they're doing inventory. Like what, why were people looking through it when they'd end up discovering this kind of stuff? Garrity goes on to say that in his opinion. The Department of Justice is making itself look bad by not having the FBI take up the search for even more classified documents. And the FBI it, saying, eh, you know, the, the Biden guys, I'm sure they've got it all. That's fine. That does look bad. That does, yeah. you know, the, fact, the fact that right now the, the FBI hasn't said, you know what, we're going to send our, our own people who have a security clearance just to make sure you guys didn't miss anything. Garrity tells us that the decision not to send the FBI may be politically damaging if it comes from a high-ranking official. If it's, if it's whoever, the lower it is on the totem pole, the more, less harmful it is. The higher it goes on the, on the thing. Look, the, the idea that anybody up with the chain had said, no, you're not sending uh, one of the, you're not sending the FBI agents, that looks bad. Garrity says that he believes that reporting on the first batch when it was found in November may have had an impact on the midterm elections. Yeah, this could have been a factor in the midterms. Not a huge factor, but one bad news cycle right before Election Day might have hurt Democrats. Hunter Biden is loosely tied to both the Biden Penn Center and his father's Wilmington, Delaware home, where the classified documents were found. Hunter Biden, who has been reported to have had business dealings in China, assisted in gathering the funds needed for the founding of the Penn Biden Center prior to its launch in 2017. On Wednesday, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with her Chinese counterpart and says that they will make an effort to minimize their differences in order to prevent competition from becoming anything near conflict. The face-to-face -face meeting is the highest-ranking contact between the two countries since Presidents Biden and Ping met last November. China says that they are willing to work with the U.S. in order to find common ground. Meanwhile, the U.S. Congress has been divided on a lot of issues, but they have been able to find common ground recently when the House agreed to scrutinize Chinese investments in the U.S., House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has identified the Communist Party of China as one of his two long-term challenges for the House, along with the national debt. Amy Selico, a foreign policy principal from the firm Albright Stonebridge Group, says that the meeting was a large step between the world's two largest economies. I think the fundamental issue here is that despite likely having a record uh, year of trade between the U.S. and China, there are views in Washington, D.C. and in Beijing that this interdependence makes the countries vulnerable to one another. The U.S., and including Secretary Yellen, continues 
to accuse China of unfair, non-economic trade practices. And, and Beijing accuses the United States of continuing to limit China's ability to integrate into the global system. So this meeting that happened today between Secretary Yellen and China's top economic uh, advisor, Liu He, was very important for them to speak to one another directly about addressing these fundamental disagreements in a very critically important trade relationship. So we just heard from the UN Secretary General, the world is watching the two largest economies and saying you must manage your disagreements, many of them political, because they're economic as well as geopolitical consequences. Selico says that for many people, the U.S.-China relationship is a bigger issue than the U.S. debt ceiling. I think that the debt ceiling discussion is a distraction for those focused on the U.S.-China economic relationship. What we need is stability, and so not having uh, that distraction of this looming crisis over the U.S. paying its debt globally, especially when China is the second largest holder of that debt, is an issue. It's an issue for the world. It's an issue for the United States to maintain our standard of, of being a safe place for investment. But on the U.S.-China relationship, uh, they have fundamental political and economic issues that are undermining this incredibly important interdependence. As you just suggested, one of the issues is a lack of trust in one another. And that is why this direct engagement between Secretary Yellen and Liu He, between Secretary Blinken, who is going to Beijing in a few weeks to meet with his counterpart in Beijing, is so incredibly important in 2023. The world is looking to the U.S. and China to manage an increasingly competitive relationship responsibly so that it doesn't veer into conflict. Last year, the U.S. Commerce Department added dozens of Chinese high-tech companies to an export control blacklist, citing concerns over national security. That move prompted the Chinese to file a lawsuit with the World Trade Organization. Microsoft is cutting 10,000 workers, almost 5% of its workforce, joining other tech companies that have scaled back their pandemic-era expansions. Daybreak insider Bob Agnew has more on the cost-cutting at the software giant. The company says in a regulatory filing the layoffs were a response to what it calls macroeconomic conditions and changing customer priorities. The company is cutting far fewer jobs than it added during the COVID-19 pandemic as it responded to a boom in demand for its workplace software and cloud computing services with so many people working and studying from home. There may be more cuts on the way, the Redmond, Washington-based software giant says. It will also be making changes to its hardware portfolio and consolidating its leased office locations. Bob Agner reporting. The former Minneapolis police officer serving 22 years in prison for putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd is asking that his state conviction be tossed out. Daybreak insider Donna Water has more on this story from the Twin Cities. 
an attorney for Derek Chauvin will argue before an appeals court that numerous legal and procedural errors deprived his client of a fair trial. The attorney says pretrial publicity was more extensive than any other trial in Minnesota history and that the trial should have been moved elsewhere and the jury sequestered. The attorney also argues that the judge improperly excluded evidence that could have been favorable to Chauvin and accuses prosecutors of misconduct. Chauvin later pleaded guilty to a federal civil rights charge and was sentenced to 21 years in a federal prison, a sentence he's serving concurrently with the state sentence. I'm Donna Warder. And finally, the oldest person in the world has died. Lucille Randon, a French nun, has died in her sleep at the St. Catherine Labour nursing home in the town of Toulon at the age of 118. Sister Andre, the world's oldest person, has died. She was born Lucille Randon in southern France on February 11, 1904, and became known as Sister Andre upon taking religious vows in 1944. On her 117th birthday, Sister Andre said, It pleased me so, so, so much. I met all those that I loved and thank God for giving them to me. I thank God. There have been 10 Catholic popes and 18 French presidents in Sister Andre's lifetime. She experienced two world wars, watching her older brother go off to fight and taking care of widows and orphans during World War II. But it wasn't all hardship. Having dedicated much of her life to the church, Sister Andre can share the words penned by St. Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Randon was named the oldest living nun and the oldest person in Europe following the death of 119-year-old Kane Tanaka in Japan. Randon was less than a month away from celebrating her 119th birthday during her long life. She has seen and accomplished a lot. She survived the Spanish flu epidemic, two world wars, and spent nearly 30 years working with orphans. Randon credited her long life to hard work and working until she was 108, chocolate, and a glass of wine each day. With Randon's death, the verified oldest living person is now believed to be 115-year-old Maria Morea of Spain. The oldest person to ever live was Jean Calment. Calmet, who, like Randon, was also from France, lived from 1875 to 1997, a total of 122 years. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.